0: Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. The worst place to be in relationship to a mentor, manager, coach, or parent is when they stop caring enough to provide correction. Lead teacher Jeff Norris continues the Hebrews 12 series, Unshakable Kingdom, with this sermon entitled, The Loving Discipline of the Lord which covers Hebrews chapter 12, verses four to 17. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at Perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Good morning, Perimeter Church. Today's scripture reading comes from Hebrews 12, four through 17. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for, for our good, in order that we may share in His holiness." No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Thank you, Blessed. Let's read aloud together our prayer of illumination. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us that we may in such a way hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope Of everlasting life which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ amen when I was growing up in the in the little church that I did in the small town that I lived in um, I was very involved in the youth group the very first trip that I can remember going on in the youth group was to church camp in North Carolina some of you may be familiar with this particular camp if you grew up Baptist it's called Ridgecrest in North Carolina, some of you may have gone there. Uh, My buddies and I, we were really eager to get there and excited, and so we spent most of the bus ride drinking Jolt Cola and eating Gobstoppers. (laughs) And so by the time we got there, between the caffeine and the sugar, uh, we were quite literally bouncing off the walls. The little room that we checked into was kind of like a dorm room, had two beds in it, and uh, we were and i when i say quite literally bouncing up laws walls we we were an, until one of us went through the wall and um this is how it happened we we were jumping from bed to bed and doing flips and somersaults and all the things that little middle school boys do and um my friend anthony over rotated on the flip hit the bed it sprung him upside down back first into the wall and he landed in the bathroom, and um, just through the sheetrock. And we went, that's not good. Um, And so we we began deliberating. What do we do about this? You can't hide it. It's a human-sized hole (laughs) through a wall. So after much deliberation and conspiring, we just finally did the right thing, finally. And, uh, and told our youth pastor. He was not very happy. Um, and uh, our senior pastor was not very happy when he got the call to let him know. And, but they were gracious, they let us stay and, and spend the week at the camp, and, uh, but they you know, let us know there, there'll be something on the back end that we'll have to, have to deal with. So when we get home, uh, we have a meeting with, with the senior pastor and he calls us into his office and as he's talking to us about a number of things, he begins to tell us about how much it costs a month to pay the yard service to cut the grass. And we thought, this is weird. Why are they telling us this? And then he smiled and he looked at us and he said, and I am so glad that I don't have to pay them for the month of July because I have two 14-year-old boys here who will do it for them. And we went, oh. You know, that pastor loved us. He really did, and I knew he loved us. And we were, we were foolish. We were negligent. We were careless. And because he loved us, he appropriately disciplined us. And we received it. We knew this is, this is what needs to happen. You know, but how do you receive that word? How do you hear that word? And what wells up within you when you hear the word disciplined not in the sense of are you self-disciplined, but in the sense of that you receive discipline from outside yourself. How do you, how do you respond to that? I don't, I don't know that there's any of us. I would assume none of us would hear that word and go, fun. <laughs> Sign me
1: up. You
2: know, we, don't, we don't wanna be disciplined. We don't long for it. We don't think of disciplined, being disciplined as uh, instinctively. We don't think of it as being good a good thing because it's inconvenient, it's often uncomfortable, even sometimes painful. But in this series that we're in, as we just walked through for four weeks, the, the, the chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, we, we realize that in this unshakable kingdom of God, and, and I hope and pray that by the end of this series, by the end of week four, you'll understand why we're calling it the unshakable kingdom. But this, in this unshakable kingdom, what we'll learn from the text today is that we should actually expect discipline from the Lord. That in the kingdom of God, the discipline of the Lord is always a good thing. And oddly enough, not only is it a good thing, but it's actually evidence of his love for us. Last week, we, we said something that I hope you remembered. Last week, uh, we, we said that it's the, the struggle, when it, th- thinking about the race in those first three verses, that we, that we run this race toward Jesus, looking to Him, considering Him, throwing off sin. But we talked about how that's hard. The Christian life is hard. This race is hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. And so we said that uh, the presence of our struggles is evidence of our adoption in Christ. This week, we'll turn that just a little bit to say, the presence of discipline from the Lord is evidence of his love. He disciplines us because he loves us. You know, when we think about this, and we go, well, this makes sense, because if, you, if you're a parent, or even if you're not a parent, you." Uh, you know this to be true, and even hopefully experienced it as a, as a child growing up. And that is, your parents love you, or as a parent, you love your, ch- your children. And because you love them, you discipline them. I can remember so many times, so many times, growing up, I grew up in a household where uh, my sister and I, we were spanked. I know that there's, uh, there's controversy over that over the years. Uh, is it effective or not? It was effective for me. And my dad, would he was the one that would always uh, spank us. And, and you've, you've been there, if you grew up in a house similar, where uh, you do something and mom says, dad will deal with you when he gets home. And it's like nine in the morning. And he doesn't get home until 5.30 p.m. And you're going all day long. like Your day is just ruined. You're like, I can't have fun. Dad, I know what's coming, right? And, uh, but, I, but my dad did something so so awesome i remember vividly that every time he would spank me every time he'd give me some time in my room alone to calm down and then he would always come back he always come back to explain to me why he spanked me and how much he loves me and that because he loves me he disciplines me and there were many times more often than not where i knew that was coming And when that door would open, when he would be coming back in, I would think, and I probably said, don't you dare come in here and tell me you love me after what you just did to me, you know. But I knew it. I knew he loved me. And sometimes it would take a few hours, maybe sometimes even a few days, but I I knew my dad loved me, and I respected him for it. I really did. In this passage that we're looking at today, God makes this analogy to us. He helps us see and understand that in the same way that a loving father would discipline his son, his child, if that's true of a sinful, broken father, how much more true is it of a holy, sinless, good father in heaven? This father who would discipline us because he loves us. There's three points that I want to walk through in the text with you, points to remember. And I'll spend the majority of our time on the first one. I I tell you that up front because if you're a keeper of time, you're going to get to the end of the first point and go, oh my goodness, we're going to be here till 1245. Um, I'll spend the most of the time on, on the first point and then we'll hit the last two. Here's the first point of this text. I've already been saying it, but I want you to see it and remember it. And that's this. The discipline of the Lord is lovingly good. It's lovingly good. Let's read, I wanna read again, verses four through seven. Listen to this. I'm reading from the NIV, I usually read from the ESV, but the NIV is is a little, uh, worded a little better in my opinion for, for this passage. It says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, the author of Hebrews is saying, uh, look, it's, in this life, it's, he's already told them last week or in the first uh, three verses, it's going to be hard. This race is not easy. And he's saying here in verse 4, and, and it's going to get harder, perhaps. It's not over, it's going to be difficult. But then he says this, verse 5 Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? Maybe, maybe circle that word, underline it, because human instinct is to not receive what he's about to say as encouragement, but it is. Forgot, have you forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? And he's about to quote uh, from Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. And this was a commonly known verse for the Jewish audience. And this is what he says. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, And do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Now, this author of Hebrews is quoting from the Septuagint. The Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. If you go to the original Hebrew that Proverbs 3 was written in, this is how the very last part of that verse reads, a verse of of Proverbs 3.12. The very last part of it says, as a father and the son in whom he delights. And so we begin to see that God disciplines those that he loves. Do you believe that? That's the question, right? the, the, The application question to this point is, Do I believe that the discipline of the Lord is lovingly good? In the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the trial, do I believe it's good? Do I believe He's good? Part of the struggle to believe that comes from trying to decide and decipher the origin of the adversity that we're facing. And that's a legitimate thing to consider. Because not all difficulties, not all adversities and struggles and hardships in this life are the Lord's discipline of His people. Not all of them are. In fact, I think an argument can be made that more often than not, what you're facing in this life is not necessarily the discipline of the Lord. So I'm going to give you three categories to consider pertaining to the origin of adversity, the adversities that we face in this life. All of these that I'm about to mention here, these three, are all under the umbrella, the overarching umbrella of God's sovereignty. There's nothing that happens to us that is outside of his sovereign rule and reign, his purposing and everything. And so, understanding that all of this is under the sovereignty of the Lord, here's three categories to consider as it pertains to the origin of the advers- adversities we face. The first one is simply God's broken world. We we live in a world that is broken and sin-ridden. And we live in bodies that are broken and sin-ridden. And so not every thing that we experience in this life is the discipline of the Lord, It's uh, it's the outworking of a world that we live in where bad things happen and God sovereignly allows them to happen even purposes them. It's common for us to struggle, just like the disciples, uh, to struggle with believing that every single bad thing that happens to us or hard thing that happens to us is a result of my sin and God's disciplining me. Because watch what the disciples asked Jesus. If you go to John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, it says this. It says, As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, God is at work in all things, the good and the bad, the hard and the easy, as it were, the comfortable and the uncomfortable, so on and so forth. And he's not only at work in all of those things, he's sovereignly purposing and allowing all those things and it's all to the end that he would be glorified. I want you to think about the story of Job if you're familiar with it. story in the Bible in the Old Testament where Job was a righteous man. The scriptures say that uh, he was the most righteous man. God does something really intriguing. Satan comes to the Lord and he basically says, in not so many words, I want to sift one of yours. I want to test him. God says, consider my servant Job. Job was a righteous man. There was no sin for which he was being punished. He wasn't sinless. He was human. He was sinful. But, but he was living a life in faithful obedience to the Lord. Yet God in his sovereign purposing and allowance of Satan to do this, he says, consider my servant, jo- servant Job. Satan says, by the time I'm finished with him, he won't sing your praises anymore. He won't praise you. He won't glorify you. And God says, okay. So the the allowance of this sovereign God to let some really bad things happen to Job was to the end that God would be even more glorified in Job's life. Because at the end of Job's story, what does he say? At the end of the story, he says, before I had heard of this God. Now I have seen him. It was, the, it was the, the difficulties that God allowed providentially and even purposed to bring more glory unto himself. And you may be a critical thinker and go, well, that just kind of seems very arrogant and selfish of God. I'll never forget John Piper teaching on this many, many years ago. And I was listening to him, and he said, if there's any being in the entire universe that it is right and good and necessary to be self-centered, then it's God. You go, well, that even sounds a little weird, but think about it. If God is going to create us and give us the very purpose of our existence to be to glorify Him, the reason you and I exist, the whole purpose of our existence is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Well, if that's the reason that you and I exist, then it would be inconsistent of God to therefore say, but I'm not going to be enamored with my own glory. I want you to be enamored with my glory. I want you to be all about my glory, but I won't be. That would be inconsistent. And it's not selfishness because God is sinless. It's right and it's good and it's the very purpose of our lives such that this loving God, sovereign as he is, allows things to happen as a result of a sinful and broken world in sinful and broken bodies such that it would be for our good and for his glory. And there's a struggle too, is it not? Because Romans 8.28 tells us that. All things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we go, yes, and amen, and we'd love to quote that verse, and we should. That is a wonderful verse to quote. It's true. It's as true as the day is long. All things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The the rub comes when we uh, try to define good in our terms, not in God's terms. Because what we say is good is what's comfortable and easy. What God says is good is what develops holy character and brings him glory. Very rarely, if ever, will our pursuit of comfort lead us to holy character. God says, I'm going to do a good work in you. And therefore, lovingly, sovereignly, I'm going to purpose some hard things in your life. So the first umbrella, if you, or the first category, if you will, under the umbrella of God's sovereignty is that it's not his discipline, many of our hardships aren't, but rather a result of his broken world and his sovereign rule over it. Secondly, the the second area category is where our text takes us today, which is that God's discipline of those who are his children As I've already mentioned and will continue to say, because I want I want you to hear it so much that you can begin to allow the Spirit to warm your heart such that you believe it. And that is that God's discipline is from His love. It's an overflow of His delight in you if you're a child of God, if you've believed upon Jesus. Some of you, this can be hard to believe because you didn't have a loving father who either didn't discipline you or disciplined you in inappropriate ways. And that breaks my heart. Because you didn't get a picture from a dad or from a parent that mirrored, even insufficiently because we're all sinful, but didn't in some way mirror the loving, fatherly discipline of God. And so when you hear discipline of God, the loving, good discipline of God, I want you to think two things. I want you to think this is a discipline that is first abounding in love, abounding in love and it is appropriate discipline. Abounding in love and appropriate in discipline. We can always, always, always count on that to be true with a sinless and holy God. You know, there's a way to live. Scripture leads us to see and understand that there's a way to live this life such that it's pleasing to the Lord. Colossians 1.10 says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him fully pleasing to him. So there's a way to walk in in a manner worthy of the Lord that pleases God and doesn't bring upon his discipline. But naturally, there's a way to walk in this life, there's a way to live in this life that doesn't please the Lord, as a follower of Christ even, that incurs, that brings on his discipline of his children, his loving discipline, so that we would turn from our erroneous ways from our disobedience, from our selfishness, pride, whatever it may be, and walk with him and experience intimacy with him, depend upon him, grow in holiness like him, as this text will tell us. I met with a young man this week, and I loved, loved meeting with him, but he came into my office broken, very broken, struggling deeply, mad at the church and mad at God. And as we talked I could see literally in front of me, I could just watch his countenance and presumably his heart soften. And it was really beautiful for me, and God does this often, where he brings someone across my path right at the same time that I'm studying something like this passage. It was just perfect timing, because I was able to say to him, I was like, look, God loves you. God loves you, but brother, you're making some really, really foolish decisions. He had been making some very foolish decisions in his life over these last couple of years, and as a result, he was experiencing, no doubt, the discipline of the Lord in relationships and all areas of his life because of his foolish decisions and choices. And so we were able to sit together, and I was able to say, look, there's a way that God has designed life to be where you can walk in a manner worthy to him and please him and enjoy him and experience the fruit of walking with Jesus and flourish. I said, but brother, you've you've got to see that you're choosing sinful choices, you're being disciplined for it, and so you've got to repent. You've got to see your sin, repent of it, and turn to the Lord and walk with him in a manner that is pleasing to him. You think about Fatherly love. Think about parental love. And let's just make one more category with that. Let's talk about biblical, godly, parental love. If it's love, then it's a love that puts parameters in place such that your children would flourish. Not the opposite. You know, we live in a world... We're, um, we're, we're, uh, this is another sermon for a different day, but I'll just say this and move on and you'll go, man, I wanted more of that. Anyway, we live in a world that is trying to say to us and to our children that, what, uh, that really love equals affirmation. Affirmation equals love. And so we, we, we actually have people espousing something that says, if parents really love their children, then they'll let their children make decisions at a very young age that is completely life altering for the rest of their life. And we go, as biblical understanding what true love is, we go, that's not love. How could that be love? If affirmation equals love, then that means as a parent, am I to affirm every decision that my kid wants to make and just say, yep, go do whatever you wanna do, I love you. that's not love that's horrible parenting that's not love and so God says to us he says I love you so therefore I'm not gonna let you do whatever your heart wants to do why because scripture tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and can't be trusted So no, I'm not going to let you go do whatever you want to do because love says, I want to keep you from doing that because you think you need to do that, but what you really need is my design for your life. Walk with me in a manner worthy, pleasing unto me, and as you do that more, you'll experience the flourishing that you were created for in the presence of God. That's love. God says, I want to discipline you, not because I'm against you, but because I'm for you. Because I love you. One of my favorite biblical commentators is a guy named Simon Kistemacher, what a great name. He says, believers should see and feel the hand of God in their difficulties. Discipline is a privilege. How many of you see it that way? Discipline is a privilege that God extends to those he loves. This almost sounds contradictory until we see that discipline is not extended to the ungodly, for they receive his judgment. That's the third category. Third category of where is the origin of hardship that you're facing? Well, the third one is God's judgment of those who are not his children. It's not discipline. It's judgment. Kistemacher continues. He says, Adversities, as a means of God's discipline, are aids to bring us into a closer fellowship with God. But God does not punish us. He punished the Son of God, especially on Calvary's cross, where he poured out his wrath on Jesus, forsaking him. As sin-bearer, Jesus bore God's wrath for us so that we who believe in him will never be forsaken by God. God does not punish us because Jesus received our punishment. We are disciplined. If you're a follower of Jesus, by faith in him, you are not not, uh, punished. You are disciplined. But those who don't know Jesus those who reject his sacrifice and say, that's not my substitution, he's not my Lord, he's not my Savior, I'm not trusting in him and his plan for my life and, the, and his way of flourishing, I want my own way, then please hear this. And I'm not, this is what the Bible teaches. This is, just, this is not my opinion. The Bible teaches this. the wrath of God is upon you. And some of the hardship that you're facing in this life may very well be because God is punishing you. And it's just a foretaste, it's just a small foretaste of the unthinkable punishment that will come if you die apart from Jesus, the only one who saves us from the wrath of God. And so it's a clarion call to any who would hear this who have not believed upon Christ to believe so that the wrath of God is satisfied on Jesus on your behalf. Poured out on him so that you are a beloved son or daughter. No longer punished. Disciplined, yes, but no longer punished. Loved, delighted in by the God of the universe. What's the difference in discipline and punishment? Simply put, discipline is for the purpose of training in godliness and holiness. Look at verse 10. Talking about fathers, earthly fathers, it says they disciplined us for a little while as though they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. It's another way of saying so that we may be more like God. Holiness is, is there's this biblical word called sanctification, that we be sanctified, meaning made more holy. That, that as he does his work in us and through us, that we're being made more holy like him and discipline helps us get there. Punishment is simply the result of God's just wrath over sin. The second point to take home is this. First one is the discipline of the Lord is lovingly good, secondly the discipline of the Lord is consequently consequentially fruitful. Enduring the discomfort of the Lord's discipline results, according to verse 11 here, it results in a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. Verse 11 is beautiful. It It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. One of the coolest things about the way God designed life is that there's many things in life that he kind of created and set in place such that it mirrors realities of our relationship with him. And so there's all kinds of things that we innately understand that if, if it requires discipline and pain and discomfort on the front end, it's going to produce the fruit that we long for on the back end. But that's going to take time. And we just know this to be true. Sports is an easy analogy. Coaches discipline their players such that they would be able to perform well on the field, but in life as well. How many of you were told by your coaches over and over and over again, this is not just going to be good for, your, for you, for this team, it's for life. And you go, oh, my goodness. And then you find out it's true. It really does prepare you for life. The discipline that they gave you was fruitful in the long run. Academically, we see this be true. You, you work hard to study and read books you don't want to read, but you, what, what in, uh, ends up happening is you end up gaining knowledge from it, intellect from it, wisdom from it, and in the short run, you perform better on the tests. You do something hard and disciplined, uncomfortable, inconvenient, because you know that it's going to bear fruit. And what God says that his discipline bears in you, the promise that he makes, is that it will be a harvest a harvest of righteousness and peace in you. A harvest. This is, these are inward realities, spiritual realities that only he can give. They're also inward spiritual realities that only he can give that may or may not, don't miss this, that may or may not come with changed outward external circumstances. Life may continue to be very hard for you, but in the midst of the hard, Through the discipline of the Lord, there will be a harvest of inward righteousness and peace. Who doesn't want that? Even if circumstances don't change, the inward reality of righteousness and peace. The third category is the discipline of the Lord is radically transforming. Radically transforming. These last five verses of this text are leading us into understanding that as the Lord disciplines us and produces his fruit of righteousness and peace in us, and the more that we become like him in holiness because of his discipline in us, we live different. The result of that is we live differently in the world. We approach life differently. The discipline of God strengthens us for the life that he's called us to. If you look at verses 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Another translation says, lift your drooping heads. In other words, he's saying, hey, this whole thing about the disciple of the Lord is meant to encourage you. So lift your heads, strengthen your arms and your knees for this race that you're in. He's back to the race analogy now. And encourage one another. Walk with one another, run with one another. And, and the discipline of the Lord is actually going to make the path of faith a, 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 a flat path where you can actually run it. And you do this together. Like he uses language like this. He says in verse 14 or 13, make the levels path for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. The, the weak among you, as they fall down, stay with them, walk with them. God is doing a disciplining work, but he's leading you to healing. Encourage one another. Strengthen one another. And then, as you do that, here's his commandments Make every effort to be at peace with everyone. Make every effort to be at peace with everyone. Paul says it this way is as, long as, as long as it depends on you, pursue peace with everyone. So he says, Pursue peace. Uh, he says, Seek holiness. He says, Avoid sexual immorality and godlessness and kill bitterness. So in other words, he's saying what comes out of the inward peace and righteousness of the fruit of discipline is a way of living that is very countercultural to the world around us. People who pursue peace, people who avoid sexual immorality and godlessness, people who kill bitterness, and people who seek holiness. The discipline of the Lord does its work. It produces fruit in us, and it changes the way that we live. God often does things in our lives, as I've said, sometimes as a way of disciplining us and sometimes just a result of his sovereign purposing and allowance in the the midst of a broken world. But it's always, don't, don't, don't miss this, it's always for our good, always. And the key, here's your takeaway, here's the big takeaway to go home with. The key to accepting this and experiencing the truth of it is submitting to the Father. There's a gem, a beautiful little pearl in this text. You see it in verse 9. It says this, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? The key is submission to the Father. If you want life, As Jesus said, if you want life and have it abundantly, submit to the Father. I want you to remember something. In the Garden of Eden, Adam did not submit to the Father. And sin abounded. And you and I were cursed. In a different garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus submitted to the Father. And sin was crushed. And you and I are accepted. In the submission of Jesus, you and I live. It's where true life is found. Do you believe that? Submit to the Father, His loving discipline. Experience the fruit of righteousness and peace as a result of that dis- discipline and live through the power of the Spirit in a countercultural way. Oh God, would you help us do that? Would you give us strength and faith to believe? that your discipline is lovingly good? Would you bear fruit through us? Would you lead us to repentance in areas of sin in our life where we know that you're disciplining us? Would Would you give us strength to endure hardship as children of God? And would you give us eyes with faith to see that in the end, when you come again and all things are new, It will all be worth it. So do it, Father, unto your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.